welcome to episode 20 on The God Learners, a podcast about reading and playing in the mythical world of Glorath. I'm Jörg. And I'm Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. And today we have uh, Harold as a guest. Hello, Harold. Hello. Nice to be on. So who are you and what do you know about Glorantha? Okay. Well, I'm I'm Harold Smith. Uh, I've been involved with RuneQuest for 40 years. Oh my god, that's almost since the beginning. <laughs> uh, not 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 quite since the beginning, but it, but a very long time. Uh, for those who are on the BRP forum, I'm known there as Jajagapa. Um and what, been... what, what is a what is a Jajagapa in just one sentence? Jajagapa is the is one of the gods of Sered in Peloria, sort of a a dog-headed god who is one of the links between the mundane world and the underworld and uh, make sure that souls are properly carried off to the underworld after they die. This is very ominous as a choice of uh, online nickname. (laughs) It really had to do with um, my uh, doing a lot of work in that part of Glorantha, um, uh, kind of the the lunar provinces, Sarah is kind of at the the heart of that, and uh, uh, I'm not sure why I ended up uh, choosing that one, but uh, it, it kind of stuck as sort of a central character. And uh, cool. so, <laughs> um, you've been playing RuneQuest in Glorantha since since the early '80s, then? Yeah, I, uh, I discovered it. Uh, just right kind of shortly after college, I was kind of browsing in a little, I had kind of a little store at the university and there was kind of a little box or bin or whatever of odds and ends of games or whatever. And I discovered the, uh, the RuneQuest box in there. I'd been playing a little bit of, uh, of role-playing games uh, kind of before that, but uh, I kind of read the back of the box and it was like, oh, this sounds interesting. So bought the set and uh, didn't really have a gaming group till about five years later, but, uh, but I had kind of followed it through. It's kind of, you know, kind of classic period and then kind of the transition into Avalon Hill and third edition and stuff. So, so I did ended up running kind of rune quest game for about 10 years um, till kind of the late nineties. And then, People kind of drifted off and got into other things, and yeah, I kind of stayed in touch with you know, kind of the little bit of what was going on with Glantha, but kind of got back into it more and about ten years ago or so. I think with some of the revival, of kind of the Hero Quest system, and um, then kind of starting to work on kind of the guide to Glorantha and, and everything and been kind of very active on the forums and stuff since then and play by post games mostly, but have recently kind of actually started a face-to-face game back up again as well. So mm, cool. Yeah. I wanted to um, talk a bit, like have a bit of a tangent about the play by post game because I've never played a play by post game. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if we can, if we can have like a, you know, a five minute tangent where you explain how it works and how it differs from, you know, face to face or online. Yeah. Play, play by post is an interesting, yeah, it's a, it's a very different pace um, than face to face game. The, the plus side is you can kind of be involved with it on kind of a daily or every other day 
basis. Um, and if you don't have a lot of time, uh, which I didn't in those days, it's like, okay, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, and it just kind of progresses kind of on a very slow pace. Uh, it, it's a very different style. Not everybody likes it, um, but it allows you to be very narrative because it, it's it's a so I you know I can be very descriptive in terms of things that in a character see they can be much more descriptive in terms of their response. You got a little bit of time to think about what characters are doing and how, how they interact and uh, you can even bring a inner a dialogue of your character into the game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, so that that's one of the, the nice things is like characters, you know, have a chance for their dialogue and you get a kind of a sense of how these characters interact and you know, the, the roles, uh, you know, kind of take care of themselves. Combat's a little, takes a while. <laughs> so you know, it can span <laughs> quite a period of time sometimes, even, even running a hero quest uh, combat, but uh But the, you kind of do that in a way that it kind of sets it up for more, you know, kind of dramatic climaxes and stuff. So you have a feel of a kind of an evolving story more than anything else, kind of like a little novel that you're just kind of incrementally adding to as it goes along. Right. And like in, in terms of, you know, how the back and forth between the GM and the, and the players go, um, like how does it work in terms of, You know, for example, you have a scene where you, you know, arrive at some village and you mm -hmm. need to ask some people for, I don't know, the chieftain. And then you have an audience with the chieftain. Like, how do you do you have a lot of, you know, long stretches of narration and then the players have long stretches where they take over the narration? Or is it or you have like several checkpoints or there'll be a lot of checkpoints? You know, it's a very you kind of do it in a very kind of back and forth manner. So, you know, somebody might arrive and particular place and it's like okay you know i can narrate the scene you know it's okay you know here's where you've arrived you know you see so and so or whatever around what do you what do you want to do or you know maybe they you know they see you and they come up and challenge you or they make a you know greeting is like you know i often use like the you know the orlanthe hospitality greeting For instance, it's like, you know, you know, so you'll have that bit of dialogue and, okay, how, how do you respond to yeah, that? This, and, this is where it's probably like less tedious to sit in writing than to actually say it at the table. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. So, so what, what you have at the table, you just kind of get a little shorthand <laughs> for that, you know, kind of move it along. And, you know, you, you, if you've done it a few times, you know, you're, you're not going to belabor it either you know just because it gets yeah. repetitive in narration as well but you, you have the opportunity to to do that and you just kind of see what you know the particular response is and at that point you kind of let the you know what what are you trying to do what do you want to do if they want to see the chieftain okay they'll ask and they'll say okay you know that's where you need to go or who you need to talk to or you let them kind of go about their business of kind of figuring out Okay, what do they want to do next? What are they trying to ask? And, uh, you know, I have a chance to kind of then figure out, you know, based on the plot line, what do I think a response is going to be? Is it going to be friendly, neutral, mm -hmm. hostile, or whatever? So, you know, not, nothing out of the ordinary from, from that standpoint, but it does have a very narrative right. format. Yeah. Yeah. It does almost sound like a old school text-based adventure game. 
Not mm. quite, but uh, do, uh, do you uh, pre-rule some stuff like uh, catching uh, if somebody is behaving suspicious or do you just put that into text? Uh, it varies. Um, sometimes I'm not sure what the, the interaction is going to be, so I may just, you know, make a roll and uh, kind of see. You, the format that we use, we, we play on uh, the RPG Geek um forum mm -hmm. and it provides everything for dice rolling and everything like that so mm -hmm. often i'll just like okay i'll just add a random roll and you'll somebody will see okay there was a little roll at this point in the text and they won't have any idea what it was for but it was you know maybe i was <laughs> determining what the reaction was going to likely oh, so be you can, or... you can do the uh, roll behind the screen to make the player nervous even on, I, on I, can, I can do that yes that's awesome yes. <laughs> yep yep and it's uh it, it, it works out quite well um so it Yeah, and they can even have, you know, support things like custom die rolls. So I can, you know, if I want to have something that was based on, say, runes or whatever, I can just uh, code up the die roll for, you know, a random set of runes and say, okay, which rune came up or whatever. So it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, from that standpoint, you know, a lot of good tools to use. Um, and everybody tends to you know, color code their own character's speech so you can kind of pick out, okay, this is who's talking or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, you know, we, we tend to have kind of an in character in game channel and that's where the action occurs, all the events and stuff. And mm -hmm. we also have kind of an out of character thread as well. So if players have questions or somebody's going to be out for a while or whatever, you would just, you know, kind of ask in that and, so it, it yeah, okay. makes the main thread readable, uh, a bit like you said, exactly. like a novel, right? I think you exactly. was following uh, was following your campaign when it was going. Yeah, yep, yeah. Th yeah. Th that one uh, that one ended up being a little bit more short lived, just because I ended up uh, kind of losing a, a few players at that point in time. But uh, do you, do you uh, still have uh, a couple of those campaigns online? If people oh, want I to do. go and read I, them, I I, I do. Uh, My long-running HeroQuest game kind of is at a long-standing pause at the moment just because we were kind of down to two characters or two players, as opposed to myself. I kind of keep it going. Um, that was kind of the old uh, uh, oh, original Star Trek Kingdom of Heroes Ooh, yeah. kind of based, uh, based one. Um, I've got two RuneQuest campaigns actively going um one is set in calamar lands basically they're working for uh queen laika um main the lead character is harmas and we started with the broken tower campaign so when that when that quick start came out i ran that and we've actually had three players different players take on the role of Harmas because he's still kind of the central character, <laughs> uh, but it's transitioned well over time. Um, and then some of my, uh, my players have been with it since the beginning or close to the beginning. So we've, uh, we've gone down to a lot of it tends to be sort of my own sort of created scenarios. We had kind of a whole campaign to find the new vision for the Colomar tribe mm -hmm. you know like i was like okay things are broken we need to see what the gods uh, want us to do at this point in time so they mm -hmm. kind of the follow trek down to portland and kind of tried to follow the path of 
Calamar and we're coming up to Calamar's lookout and uh, get a kind of a vision of kind of where they were going to be and kind of the players kind of shape the, the vision, um, kind of it, interacting depending on their level of success with the, their roles, more some more so than than others. But it, that was quite an interesting one. Right now they're, they're off at the uh, smoking ruins, so I've kind of mixed a little bit of uh, uh, other other scenarios in as well. So yeah. Cool. Uh, well, we'll uh, have some links in the show notes if people want to check out uh, yep. play by post game. Uh, but we are here to uh, talk about something uh, specific. This thing, uh, yeah. Edge yep. of Empire, which is your uh, recent release on the Johnstown Compendium, which yep. brings uh, playing in the kingdom of Imther, Imther, yeah, Imther, uh, yeah, to RuneQuest. So, can you tell us what's Imther? Imther is a small. It's actually the smallest of the lunar provincial kingdoms. So it's kind of the the fringe of the the lunar empire. Mm-hmm. It is a mountainous area, a lot of woodland around it. Uh, so it's not only the smallest in size, it's the smallest in population as well. Has a nice little advantage, but not only is it on the border of the lunar empire, so you can be lunar players, um, it is also on the border of the old Griffin Mountain campaign yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and the land of Balazar. So you've got civilized land on the one side, very primitive land on the other. You've got other barbarian lands and provincial kingdoms off to the south uh, but it was a great place to be able to bring together lunars orlanthi uh, yelmalians um kind of in a nice mix where it's not lunar versus sardar but it's like we're part of the empire but we're also our own place and mm-hmm. you can kind of determine whether you're going to be a little bit more imperial leaning or whatever but you don't necessarily know who the good and the bad guys are it's not clear cut <laughs> from that standpoint so well you so can it, you you can never really tell in Glorantha though but yes exactly but you, you don't have that sort of preset uh you know the lunars are not necessarily bad guys right. this is one of the places where the conquering daughter brought her second roadway you know it runs right, right into the, yeah, so the it's, kingdom it's, and it's less uh, it's less like evil lunars occupying our lands like in Sartar and more like exactly they've been there for a long time and we actually got aqueducts and stuff like that from them <laughs> exactly yeah they are roads and yeah uh, and, and the mountains are also home to dwarves so you get a chance for interaction with a very strange uh race of beings right uh, yeah potentially some elves off to the wild lands off to the east as well mm-hmm. um and you you can take advantage of uh you know trucking out into the you know balazar or whatever if you want to go in that direction as well so uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for interaction you can play very clan-based games and have that sort of clan tribal rivalry feeling you know who's kind of out on top of each other you can do it in a way that's sort of more game of thrones like you know in terms of uh, who, who's going to uh, control the kingdom and hopefully the the control of the supply of uh, money and metal from the dwarves yeah um, 
yeah, you have this whole thing with uh, which which gives like a, a nice span of gameplay opportunities between the you know the the mostly uh, primitive or at least independent tribes to the east. You've got the lunarized tribe to the west, which are like almost under the glow line, uh, mm-hmm. and then you've got the whole thing about like uh, the dwarves like to to actually be king of imther i think you need like some blessing from the dwarves or some some agreement from the dwarves they're they're, they're to to manage to actually get the dwarves to trade with you you've got to have fulfilled some certain uh, requirements of course you know dwarves are very prescriptive about that it has to you know, meet <laughs> yes. all the check boxes and if it doesn't then uh sorry they're not going to trade with you right. so uh, <laughs> yeah and, and that's actually kind of the, the current state of the kingdom um as kind of i've depicted in the work that that the the last official king of imther had died and the dwarfs had closed the gates and now what that nice little (laughs) flow of money and metal to the lunar empire has been cut off and uh who can get it back right yes and um i suppose who can get that back will wildly differ depending on whether you play a lunarized uh, tribe from the west or an independent tribe from the east or one of those in between because they would have different agendas of what they will have different agendas and and some some want to see it restored some don't and uh, you get everything in between (laughs) so yeah yeah can you um can you tell a bit more about what other overarching arcs and themes you have in imther besides this whole dwarf business like what what other yeah, what other big themes are there? I mean, Imther's had or been involved with a, a lot of interaction, obviously, with the Lunar Empire itself. So there, there's sort of that theme of, are you really part of the that sort of lunar vision or not? Um, there was an ancient hero, Janosaur, who uh, was one of the main foes of the Red Goddess after she arose and he led a very successful coalition uh of southern barbarians they marched all the way up to glamour they were on the silver bridge that looked like they were about <laughs> ready to to win and then they were betrayed and he died and uh actually you, you were asking about uh, jajagapa earlier jajagapa is one of the demons who kept her the soul of of janice and carried him off to the lunar hell as well yeah. um so there, there's a, there was a very common um, vase painting that uh, has regularly appeared over the years, and uh, uh, you know is uh, you know has has that particular incident uh, in it. So there, there, there's that aspect of you know do you support you know the, the goals of the, of the lunar empire or not? You know do do you, mm-hmm. the conquering daughter was the next major figure, and she obviously you know brought. Rhodes, you know, she conquered the barbarians, civilized it, you know, and Jalara, kind of her central city in, in Salila, is sort of that one of those centers of civilization. You know, it's a wonder. It's sort of like, you know, the Athens of <laughs> that part of the world. And, uh, you know, there's learning and wonderful craftsmanship and statuary and everything there. So, you know, it's like, everything you're, you kind of anticipate from a civilized standpoint. So there's, you have this sort of balance between that sort of civilization and potentially just sort of the, the wild clans, particularly off towards the East who are like, you know, 
classic Orlanthe, you know, nobody can make me do anything. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with this and, uh, you know, tear it all down. So, so that, that's obviously one of the themes in the story, you know, do you go with the, you know, the civilized values or do you go with something more, I don't know if you want to say freedom loving, but, you know, sort of that, that, that aspect. Um, we've got some of the themes just in terms, you know, there are elder races there. You know, not only is the dwarf trade central, but you know, obviously the dwarfs are part of their own world machine vision. You know, what, what is that vision? You know, is it valuable for humans or not? And, you know, what, what are you going to discover if you actually begin to investigate that to, to any great detail? Um, right on the north of Imther is an area that, Janisor bound with his magical net. It, it holds the mad sultanate of Torque. Yes, I love that place. Tell us more. <laughs> so, so it, it, it's it is a nest of chaos, basically, um, kind of trap. They don't venture out. They're bound by the net. Um, yeah, sort of. You can you can accidentally <laughs> yeah. get in. You can cross in. Yeah, my, my understanding is that the net sort of like, you know, expands and contracts randomly. And so you can yeah. inadvertently cross into Torque and then... Uh, That's true. And th- and that allows things to come out. Right. Yes. And so you could you could create like a... You could provoke some chaos outburst yes. in your lands. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah there, there was one notable instance of a Tarsh king not knowing where the boundary was, who had kind of invaded, and he accidentally crossed the, the line. And next thing you know, the mass outflowing of Mad Sultanate, and they destroyed his army, and they went marching off to Durastor, I think, as a well, result. Uh, they but were, They were tricked to go there, really. They, they were tricked, yes. Yes. So many... many uh, good illusions and stuff you can, you can work with there. But uh, everybody kind of who's in the mountains kind of along that line needs to kind of have a, a watch over that area and make sure that things aren't getting out of hand or accidentally expanding in a way that's potentially dangerous. Uh, west, you've got the lunars and the civilization. East, you've got uh, the primitive Balazar uh, area and a couple of far um shitty lunar outposts to the north mm-hmm. you've got the mad sultanate of torque and its chaos stuff what do you have to the south to the south is Saird and hole so hole is another one of the provincial kingdoms it's one of the more settled areas you know lots of grain you know they, it, it's kind of one of the bread baskets of of the lunar empire it's also the heart of uh, the Lunar Provincial Administration. So Sered was heavily colonized by Darhapans in the Second Age, and has a lot of feel for, similar to the, the heartland of the Lunar Empire. Uh, the Oslo River flows by there, the Black Eel River, uh, Mirren's Cross is that sort of capital of, of kind of the, the southern lunar experience, if you will. and <laughs> Yeah, so it's as you move south again, you're kind of very lunar oriented. Again, these are barbarian, you know, Orlanthe lands with a lunar veneer over the top. It's not as wild as Agar um, or 
uh, you know, it's a little bit more central, you know, more controlled than say Tarsh. Um, but you know, again, it's still sort of one of those lunar provincial lands. You also have Vanch to the north, which is you also have Vanch to the north as well. So it's a little bit more north northwest. Um which is another one of the provincial kingdoms. And it, it, it's sort of my foil to Imther. It's, you know, basically everybody thinks the Vanchites are thieves. And of course they are because they follow a raccoon god and raccoons are you know, very good at stealing things and acquiring things and whatever. So the, the Vanchites are kind of their own odd little entity, you know, from that side. Yeah, they, they adopt whatever they find. You know, it's like, oh, you got this interesting spirit. Yeah, we'll adopt it. Okay. Lunars, we'll adopt it. Um, you know, so everything's kind of a little hodgepodge of miscellaneous things in Vanch. If you want to throw something together, yeah, you'll probably find it in Vanch. <laughs> um, speaking of gods and all that, like in, in Edge of Empire, in your book, you have uh you have a few new cults you have some local spirits mm -hmm. and all that it's it's yep. it's great stuff uh some of those gods are like variants or subcult mm -hmm. of, of the gods that people might know from the from the rule book yep. um can you quickly go over like why you have like variants of those gods there like what what's the um uh like how's that work yeah i mean when, when i was kind of exploring uh, and developing imther originally it's sort of like okay it kind of started actually with a guy who was kind of working with Il Malio and Arnaldo and uh conquering daughter those were probably the you know the three prominent gods but as, as I began to develop the culture it's sort of like well this you know came out of something you know and likely there was kind of overlays over time so about in the time that, that kind of Greg and developed kind of the Yelmalio, Elmal divisions, it's like, oh, well, this is kind of, you know, not to go into that that debate, but uh, it, it's like, you know, the, there's some natural underlying stories here. And, and it feels like, you know, for this place to have kind of a, a unique character, there would have been some natural cults and myths and stuff that, that went with the land. And I, I began to develop some of those stories they were variants on things like the hill of gold myth and and the like and they kind of acquired a life of their own and it's like this just seemed to to fit so it was so there is a cult called kelmal um he is, he is a variant of yelmalio but he's sort of the yelmalio that is just known to everybody on a day-to-day -day basis he's sort of a cultural mm -hmm. hero is he the same as yelmalio yeah, the the Sundom Templars will recognize him as Yelmalio. They'll call him Yelmalio. They'll they might incorporate the myths or they might not. But to the all the clans and stuff around, you know, they also will probably recognize that yes, this is Yelmalio as well. But you know, we know him as Kelmal because that's the stories that you know mm -hmm. we tell, and these are the myths that kind of keep us going day to day, year in year out. Yeah, and, and similarly for the the Earth cults, um, there's a cult called Nialda. Um, she's basically just a, a you know kind of a variant of Rinalda. But I was sort of going through, you know, what happened, you know, when the the Earth died, and and she's sort of a figure that you know kind of went to sleep, and her dreams were part of what kind of helped the land stay mm -hmm. together, and that seemed like it 
you know, it was a part that was going to be an important piece for the, the clans as well. So, the, you know, they are, the clans know their local deities. They recognize that these are, you know, associated or part of, you know, the, the broader deities as well. But it gives you a way to have some local flavor and variance and, you know, a way to kind of tie a lot of that together. So it's then up to, you know, kind of a game master who was playing there. It's like, do you want to emphasize the local cult? Do you want to emphasize mm-hmm. the, the broad general Goranta cults and ignore the local? You can do that as well. I like the interaction and in, in the, in the mix during my players. I think have found that they like that kind of interaction because they can focus in on, well, I'm very focused on the clans or I'm very focused on, you know, the central temples or as, as well. And it creates a nice variation in terms of characters and stuff that get developed. We need to talk about your trickster gods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because the, 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 the core trickster is a character called Orlandio. So, because I didn't like Orlando, you know, originally it's like, uh, I, I was always, a, I, I liked Yilmalio. I did not like Orlando. Um, so I, I kind of cast yeah, or, or Lance to me was kind of a, as much of a trickster and annoying figure as anybody else. And I kind of cast him into that, that role. And so uh, he, he became a uh, really central trickster. There, there's various other tricksters around. The interesting thing was as, as we kind of got exploring and developing the, the land though, is we did begin to find that, you know, the trickster was sort of a, a key character as well, it's like it's not somebody that you're going to just outcast and exile, but you were going to basically find ways that you know the trickster was going to be was an important part of the villages and the clans. Um, yeah, I like I like that you have like uh, a few paragraphs in the book that explain you know why don't you kick tricksters? Like why do you actually want tricksters in the clan? Mm-hmm. And you have like a, a list of simple but fairly compelling reasons to. Yeah. Have trickster around because they're useful. Exactly. One of, one of my uh, main players at, at the time really liked the trickster character, so it's a, he, mm-hmm. he had kind of developed a, a lot of these sort of little theories or whatever. And but it just seemed to fit as well. So it's like you know, you you wanted the trickster because the trickster provided you know annoying things, but at the same time would do the tricks would somehow be propitious events you know there were things that helped you know maybe dilute some of the tensions and stuff in the society Mm -hmm. as a whole or they provided a an outlet for events or they were representative of the good luck as well as the ill luck so so they became part and parcel of yeah of all the events they were part of marriage ceremonies and and stuff you expect somebody's going to play a trick at some point during (laughs) marriage ceremony uh one of my favorite one-off scenarios that, that we did uh, uh, years ago was actually just a marriage in the local village, and uh, we had kind of pre-gen characters for it. But you know, each each of the players took one of the kind of the central characters. One was going to be the the, the groom to be, and his friends, and one was an ostensibly suspect or un, I guess unknown trickster as well. And and they were all trying to figure out, well, how do, you know, they had to do all the kind of the things and carrying the gifts off to the, the bride-to-be and 
there there kept being odds and ends of little events occurring throughout the the whole kind of lead in and and, and the marriage ceremony as, as well um and they ended up kind of getting tricked in the in the process so by the, the kind of the underlying real trickster of the story so uh, that, that was a, one of my yeah you know, it, it was a very amusing uh scenario to run through but cool yeah that, that one that one i have not written uh, I, mean, I got drafts of it around but i've not, not published that one anywhere so maybe well, maybe one of these days i'll do that oh, yeah. as well so we need to go uh, to the other local specialty cheese yeah i when 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 i saw um the chapter on cheese early on in the book, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, he, he knows how to grab the attention of the French. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like cheese. Um, and <laughs> so my uh, maternal grandparents were Danish. So my, my grandfather particularly liked blue cheese, Danish blue cheeses and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the stronger, the better stuff. So, um, and I grew up in Western Wisconsin, which is also part of cheese country as, yeah. as well. Um, uh, so it's always been part of my life, but uh, it, it, it was just one of those sort of things that, uh, that kind of developed. It's like, you know, as one of the characteristics of the culture, um, it's like they've got goats and sheep. They're going to have cheese. And uh, interestingly, the one of the first Imther uh, articles ever published in one of the fanzines uh, in the 90s uh, it actually came out in Codex number three. But it, it had one of the original article on Imperian cheeses in it. So, but I, I couldn't publish something on Imther without having <laughs> section yeah. on cheese. And, and, and the, the stories were part of the uh, kind of the tales that I thought were kind of integral to Imther as well. And, uh, you know, I think give some of the, the flavor land and as well as almost some what can cause some of the, the tensions and stuff between different clients. Yeah. We'll we'll talk a bit more about like all those fanzines and the history of your work, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, the the about the flavor. Um, I love that there <laughs> is such a thing as like the cheese wars, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But generally speaking, what I really liked about your book is that there's a lot of those flavor pieces, right? It's like it's mm-hmm. like a game book interspersed with a lot of. Uh, you know, the article on cheese, there's like several myths or stories that mm-hmm. are interspersed here and there. There are like um, interviews with in-game NPCs, you know, like some yep. some Lank or my documents about some sage interviewing soldiers and, and yes. merchants. And so it's 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 got this great collection of flavor pieces. Like, is that like, yeah, how, I mean, how I, did you... It kind of goes back to, I think, maybe the like, Cults of practice. I mean, I love that sort of the in-game, in-world document. The the Bitterian Varosh. Yeah, exactly. So, so that that to me was was it was interesting. It's sort of very engaging. It kind of brought you into kind of that that whole culture. And one of the things I wanted to be able, or I was from the point where I first was trying to get you know, Imther content published, was having some of that kind of in-game, in-world. You know, experience and give you a kind of sense of what's going on and kind of get you into the mindset of people in, in that particular world. And I think, you know, some of those sort of flavor bits are really kind of the way to kind of 
do that. I mean, I, I like being able to tell people, here's some of the customs. Here's what some people will say to each other. Here's how people might talk to you about, you know, why they like the place or what's going on. Yeah, I love the bit with the uh, Imperian sayings. It kind of yeah. reminded me of uh, like I played a lot of Cyberpunk 2020 back in mm-hmm. the day, and there was yeah. also like a couple of pages on like future uh, Night City lingo, okay. uh, like Tumba <laughs> right. and all yeah. that, right? And mm-hmm. so like you also have like a, a, bun- a bunch of Imperian lingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it gives you kind of way. Okay, well, yeah. How is somebody gonna? express themselves you know yeah you know, I, I like the you know the, the Orlando hospitality greeting you know that's kind of a you know a good way to kind of think about you know what do people say when they greet each other but you know going beyond that you know, it's just like you know how are they going to refer to it and and it ties back into the cultural aspects you know they're they're going to refer to the things that they know whether you know if they're in the southlands of inter they know about the apple trees and stuff <laughs> or the cheese and whatever. And those are going to influence what they say and how they refer to things. So, so I, I like those. And I think, you know, the myths and stories help give you some of that sense yeah. as well. You know, what's going on and as well as just kind of, it's not just, okay, here's, here's a bunch of cults. Here's a bunch of <laughs> uh, encounters go at it, but allows, you know, the game master or, or player, whoever's reading it to just kind of, they can go through it. They, you know, you'll find little bits here and there. Hopefully, it's like, oh, yeah, that's something I could use or, or draw on. Uh, I have some of the little tales about, or even little chronicles about, you know, the history of some of these tribes and uh, the attend with some of those is, you know, they're, they're not current, but things that those characters do. Oh, well, maybe my character could do this as well. You know, this is how somebody might have become, you know, the tribal king or whatever and it gives you the game master a way to kind of explore that as a you know a possibility for their game or for the players say oh well so and so did this i want to follow in their footsteps i mean uh, you uh, put quite a lot of actual information in the, into the big flavor pieces of the lunar survey mm-hmm. i did up to character descriptions and with room quest uh, stats Yep. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it was that, that was, I put together a lot of that probably about 10 years or so. I, I was kind of getting back into kind of working on, on Imther and, um, you know, I'd done some work with Jeff on, you know, both in terms of the provinces, you know, in the guide and, uh, some of what was going on with the hero quest, Glorantha and, and Glorantha source book and stuff. But I kind of ended up just like, how do I, you know, understand kind of the, this little kingdom? And I was like, well, you know, the lunars were probably trying to keep on top of things and know who's doing what or where and whatever. So just they're going to send one of their administrators out to you know, just tour the place and try and record things. And I found it just kind of, it was an interesting way to talk about the clans and the tribes and, and some of the, overall localities that was served it's doesn't know everything and it could potentially be different by the time you're going through or experiencing it yourself but you know it, it gave you a way to kind of get to know the clans in a way that might be useful but that you could extend on it you know in your own way as well 
Right. Yeah. We might, we might just quickly explain what it is for those who haven't seen the book yet. But yeah, it's like the the last few chapters of the book uh, are like uh, three different lunar surveys. And yeah, it's like written in sort of the perspective of a lunar administrator who comes and does a survey of of parts of Imther. And so there's uh, notes on, on important figures of clans, local clans and tribes and all that, but it's written sort of half in the world. Yep. Uh, we might as well just uh, go into your the history of your your work on Imther because you've been working on Imther for a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you even published uh, two uh, two old fanzines way back, like yep. New Lolan Gospel One and Two. Yep. Uh, yep. So, can you talk about like yeah, your your history with uh, writing about Imther? Well, I be- I began. And back in when I got started with my first uh, RuneQuest campaign, I was like, okay, where am I going to set the campaign? I liked Lunars. I wasn't overly enamored of doing something off in cracks. There wasn't enough info about Sartar to really feel like I was going to be able to do that. Well, so it's like, okay, you know, I've got Griffin Mountain. I've got the red line history of the Lunar Empire. And right at that sort of intersection, I could set a game in Imther and I could take advantage of those those resources. So that's kind of why I ended up there. And the campaign and everything just kind of developed from there. It was probably, I think, early, early 90s, um, probably about the time where Ken Ralston had kind of taken over as sort of runes are whatever and Mike O'Brien had published like Sun County and it's like, yeah, I've got enough things I've been doing in Imther, you know, for my campaign, you know, maybe I could assemble that into a work. So I, I put that together, sent it off to, to Ken and uh, he liked it. Um, but then the, the, some of the relationship with, you know, between chaos and Avalon Hill didn't quite, <laughs> it was sort of falling apart in some ways. So it it went through a few different gyrations of trying to move along, trying to get published, and didn't really go anywhere at that point in time. But I did have plenty of sort of other background material that I put together, and I think on the the Glorantha Digest, and then also with the the RuneQuest conventions uh, over in the U.S. in '94 and '95, there was a lot of interest in myths and tales and stuff like that. So I written quite a few things on that a lot of those were published on the old uh, RuneQuest digest but i took those and those became some of the frameworks for some of the articles i submitted to and got had published in codex first and then i produced my own fanzine um short-lived um i, I did have stuff in progress potentially for third or fourth so you know some of those pieces you know kind of got pulled back in as I was uh, looking at, oh, you know, kind of this, this work. Um, yeah, I managed to find the, the two issues of New Lowland Gospel on eBay last year. So yeah, I, I got good, them. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. So I, I actually do have a face-to-face game that just kind of got started uh, into last year going. Um, family was from Australia, but they're living in Massachusetts now. But uh, they happen to have 
both copies of, of New London Gospel. It's in a different color cover. I don't remember having done a blue cover for Australia, but apparently I did. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see that there. there. there okay, there's, yeah. there's actually two different variants on, on that. So. Or more. The European one probably is different as well. It, it could well be. Um, <laughs> I Because some of it I ended up shipping over to um, uh, David uh, David Hall for distribution over in, in Europe and stuff. So I think there was sort of an Australian distribution and a, a European distribution. So I'm not sure if the, the covers ended up quite the same or, or not for those. So. <laughs> but, oh, well. Cool. But yeah, so I, mean, I did you know a few articles, um, some other stuff ended up in Tales of the Wrenching Moon number sixteen, and then some of the enclosure um, mm-hmm. ones as well. And I was doing writing as well, you know, things coming out of the the RuneQuest convention and stuff. So there, there was there was a lot of writing of material related to to Imther. Um, the other thing I was doing at the time, though, uh, I. Had a chance to meet Greg at the first RuneQuest convention, and obviously, Conquering Daughter was one of the central figures in terms of my Imther campaign. I'd done some write-ups, so I ended up corresponding with him about Conquering Daughter, and uh, that led into actually exploring a lot more of the whole Sered as a whole and, and the background for that. So if you've read through you know, Greg's works on Dar Hapa, the kind of fortunate succession, you'll have found that there was a period where there was sort of late Second Age. There's kind of three brothers who basically end up, you know, vanquishing the Empire of the Worms throne, uh, friends and you know, throwing that out. But there one of those central characters was a figure called Varen Mars, and he became the founder of the kingdom of Sered, which was like a central piece. So there's actually a whole Varen Mars saga stories and the like from that period that I developed with Greg uh, during that time period. So that's not never been published. There's little bits and pieces, maybe fragments of myths and stuff that kind of found their way back into the Imther material. But uh, when, when, someday maybe I'll have a chance to you know, bring some of my uh, when you write a Johnston compendium on Sared, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I, what do you say? And, and there's all it also produced a whole bunch of myths and stuff associated with Vanch as well. So, so someday maybe I'll have a chance to to do something on on either Sared or Vanch. Going back to some of the, you know, the flavor bits in Edge of Empire, there's like mm-hmm. two things I would want to uh, briefly talk about. Yep. Uh, the first one is, I'm not actually sure if it's mentioned in the RuneQuest, like in the new RuneQuest Planetar rulebook, Bestiary or not, uh, because, you know, we sort of try to assume that people have at least those two books, but not necessarily anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was under the impression that like generally the orality don't like to uh, keep goats except for um, like one or two tribes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how did the, um, how did the Orlanthi of Imther got to have this whole goat based mythology and uh, goat cheese? I don't know exactly what I, I, tied in kind of the goat piece of it. It was, it was a very early 
piece, uh, probably about originally, I, I think in my sort of original view, I largely made Imsler kind of a a land of sun worshippers, the Omalians. You know, so it, the, the Orlanthi were kind of like shunted aside to, <laughs> okay, to yeah. some extent. So, yeah. uh, so I, I think it, it became, you know, quite acceptable in, in terms of, you know, ghosts were just one of those sort of differentiators yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of got built in. I, I The stories kind of developed out, out of that. Um, the, the prevalence of Orlanthi there almost came out of kind of later work I did with, with Jeff um, as we were kind of working on the guide and uh, you know, what, you know, some of the characteristics and stuff there is like, you know, no, there's definitely a Rolanthe in him. There is not a, a void, you know, from that standpoint. So part of, part of the working in of that sort of concept was obviously the Orlanthe had to be accepting of goats, you know, and, yeah. but if you have a look at the the guide, if you go back to like the Dawn Age map mm-hmm. and stuff in the guide, Imther is not part of the Orlanthi lands at at the Dawn. Right. There's there's an Earth culture that's in, kind of just south of the Imther Mountains, Belogans. and what's that? The Belorgans. Yeah, the Belorgans. Yep, that's correct. And and uh, and there is a bit of a, a solar culture around new lowland um mm-hmm. but the the imther mountains were come to kind of goat worshiping tribes i mean that's how they survived to get mm-hmm. to the dawn it was like and and the the myths in there about you know them making the cheese or whatever kind of the you know was really central to how they survived so they yeah i like they, that they, myth. it was fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I, I that, that was one of my ones that was very enjoyable to to write and put together. It just kind of naturally flowed together as, as some of those stories did, um, and it, it just seemed like the goat herders were were there. They were you know it was mountainous. The goats were going to have an advantage in the mountains, so that just always kind of carried through when the Orlanthi and the Lightbringers kind of spread into land is. They just kind of intermingled, you know, with those cultures um, that were there. And as a consequence, you know, there's not a, you know, dislike of, of goats that there wasn't other Orlanthi lands. Right. I don't even remember why Orlanthi are supposed to not like goats. Is it because like yeah. it reminds them of Bruce or something? Yes. 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 Okay. Basically that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the other thing, like also expanding from those myths about the, what is it, the goat father or, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. how the cheese was made and all that. Yeah. Uh, what I like also is that, uh, in the character creation part of the book where you have, you know, the, the rules for making Imitarian characters with their own family history and all that. Mm-hmm. You also have this thing about, uh, creating clans and tribes and you have like a selection of, um, you know, what is your foundational myth for your clan or your right. tribe? And so yep. I, I found like this was a great idea for building your own community for your campaign. That's great yeah. stuff. Yeah, that that one kind of came out of uh, some of the, the HeroQuest uh, material. So what having, I mean, I, I really enjoy the HeroQuest system. I also really enjoy the RuneQuest system. So, uh, but one, one of the things I liked with the HeroQuest was it did have a, piece on creating the Sartar clans. And I, I had actually 
and kind of was inspired by that to put together some of these, you know, sort of founding myths on, on Imther. So when I was assembling this book, it's like, oh yeah, I, I have this little bit on, you know, kind of clan creation that, that actually I think would be kind of interesting and useful to kind of bring forward into because it's, it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different stories. And for game masters who may want to say, okay, I want a, you know, a clan based game. How do I, you know, distinguish that? Well, you know, you can go through and, and actually let the players control some of that and develop some of that uh, background themselves. And, and this then kind of ties them into some of those sort of stories. It's like, oh, I know this myth. You know, this was part of, you know, our clan. And yeah, this other clan thinks this, like, whatever, you know, it, you know, you can kind of select those as you go. But it gives you a way to then kind of develop some of those natural rivalries between clans and it kind of, you know, if you want that sort of just, you know, very local feel for a game, you know, it, it allows you to to build that out. Uh, actually, it ties into uh, a lot of the like procedural play resources you have in the book, which I want to also go into. But just before that, I want to talk about the other good flavor bit I liked. Uh, can you tease people a bit about your uh, not interpretation, but uh, yeah, I guess your your interpretation of dwarves and how you portray them in your games. I've uh, de- definitely taken you know to explore the idea that you know these these are people who are part of the world machine, and they are very. I mean, this is sort of like classic sort of. I don't know. If, I, I I mean, just sort of my background in software development and the like, it kind of kind of influenced it. Project management, you know, it's like they're very task oriented. It's like, okay, yeah, this step has to be done. This step, you know, it's all very clockwork machine driven. You know, you're you're assembling the machine. You got to have everything in its place at the right time, at the right place. And they've got constant little projects to do this, that, and the other thing. And Sometimes they have to get materials or whatever for that. So the interactions with humans, you know, the dwarves aren't thinking about human approaches to things. You know, they're not thinking about human ambitions or whatever. They're basically like, this is what I need to do. This, and here's my task. Now, I tend to like, like to make them rather obscure. So it's not necessarily obvious, you know, the, okay, you can kind of tease out some of that. Okay. You know, what, what are they asking about? You know, so it, it gives it kind of a, an alien flavor in that sort of uh, bronze age world. So how well do your uh, dwarves know uh, or remember the world machine plans for the region? Well, they, they, they developed their little translation dictionaries, of course. So uh, there, there was, sorry, I, I don't, remember if it ended up being in one of the new lowland gospels or not but i there was a a story i had written where the dwarves were interacting with humans basically one of their projects was to update their dictionary and they were having you know going through and say say and and, and what was this and you know of course the uh Imtherians who were interacting with was were just having fun with the dwarves and suggesting all sorts of silly things or whatever to the dwarves as they were compiling but the dwarves were dutifully writing down the the translations or their understanding of it so so you never quite know what you're going to end up getting with the the dwarves and, and are there the 
texts that they're working with and translating from current? Are they 100 years old? Are they 500 years old? So you, you can get some, I, I tend to just build in a very obscure technical language, you know, in my interactions with the dwarves. And some, sometimes I, I think that the players will find it uh, a little baffling or frustrating. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes they'll, uh, maybe he's talking about this. And it's like, you know, I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, you're you're beginning to catch on. So, <laughs> so uh, if one of the characters happens to have, have the name of some distant grandfather, uh, the dwarf mm -hmm. might remember. Uh, he will be mistaken for that character. Oh, yeah, could could well be. Yes, yes, <laughs> that, that, that could well be. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I recommend people to you know between the chapter on cheese and the uh, uh, you have like some example dialogue for dwarves uh, yep. between you know between that and and the cheese. I think it's well worth the the price of the PDF. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I I like the I kind of do it. It's like do, do you include some of the, like the example conversations and stuff? And it's like well. Not everyone is going to have a take on what's different about Glorantha dwarves. So, I, mm -hmm. you know, it's my take. You don't have to use it, obviously. But, you know, for somebody who's just trying to, how do, how do I portray this so it's not just like a Tolkien dwarf yeah. or something? Uh, not just somebody with it, an Irish accent or something. It, it, exactly. So, and so you can use it, you can modify it, you can streamline yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, but it, at least, you know, it, it you know, may give you a sense of, okay, this is what these guys are about and how you could represent it and have something that's kind of distinguishing. The last thing I wanted to talk about was um, all of the procedural play stuff that you have. You have, you know, mm -hmm. encounters, genera um, uh, story generation bits, uh, the mm -hmm. plan generation and all that. Um, and I think uh, Jörg sort of recognized bits of Griffin Mountain in that, uh, Jörg. Yeah, I, I think uh, that your book is the closest to Griffin Mountain I have seen so far or on the Johnson Pavilion. Uh, yeah. And Griffin Mountain is still one of the gold standards and uh, perhaps the gold standard for uh, exploration games. Yeah. Yeah. When I was kind of putting this together, one of, one of the, I mean, originally I was going to include some scenario material as well. And then it's like it kept getting longer and longer. And it's like, okay. I'm, Something's got to go. It's uh, yeah, the, the scenarios I can come come back to, but then it's sort of well, you know, how how is this going to work for game master? Yeah, there's a lot of content here, but I was really, you know, I need something that's going to allow me to say, how do I start and run a campaign in Imther? And it's like, well, it's a sandbox setting, you know, from that standpoint, and you can you can take it in a number of different ways, but you know, the Griffin Mountain is obviously, you know, the, as you said, sort of the standard for a sandbox setting. You can, here's, you know, some of the places you can go and here's some of the encounters and stuff. So what I've tried to do there is really provide a way for game masters to develop, you know, a campaign kind of flavored in what they want to do, whether it's clan-based, whether it's a Game of Thrones style, whether it's just exploratory you can go in any of those different routes. But if you're an Imter, 
here's what you might encounter. Here's ways you can, you know, kind of determine, you know, what might be happening at a given point in time and at least have some ways to kind of start that that process and let your campaign go from there and kind of see where, you know, where the players want to go. Cool. So, but eventually I hope to have more specific settings developed as well. So you can kind of expand, you know, uh, you know, with some scenarios or, you know, along some of those, those lines too. So. Okay. Jörg, did you have any other questions or topics you wanted to bring up? Uh, we haven't talked about the maps yet. Oh, right. Yes. Um, as people might know, I love maps. Um, so you've got some, uh, you've got some cool maps in, in the Imther book, but the, the one map that I mostly know you for from is your uh, map of Notchet. Yeah. Which uh, yeah, which you worked on? Uh, what was that like? Because it, it's an insanely big and complicated map, uh, yeah. and it's <laughs> hidden in some corner of the internet. We'll have a, a link to it so people can check it out. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm very curious um, as to you know what where it came from. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I like maps. So, yeah, I, I, one of one of the earliest ones I actually put together. You'll find in the Edge of Empire or Edge of Empire. Um, is the the known world map that's in there yeah. That oh was, yeah i like that one too yes yeah, that <laughs> i like that one especially because you put a here be dragons oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on dragon pass yes yes <laughs> I well, love it. What, 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 what it sense there. there's so, literally dragons right now <laughs> so when, when i was originally introducing my very first set of players to my campaign world i wanted to try and say where are you uh it the style actually came out of um, there was a map. I think I don't remember if it was Nomad Gods or or one of those early publications had kind of this rather odd, right? You know, yes, picture of, of the of the you know here's this lunar empire or here was uh, the wastelands or whatever, and then off in yeah. various corners were other things. So I kind of like that style. It's like okay, center, you know, you're at the center of the world. You know, Empire is the center of the world. You know, obviously, so everything else is just kind of contiguous to it but um uh, that was actually one of the first maps i did you know, for a glorantha perspective but i was you know, like maps develop maps whatever it's been one of those things i like um used to love going through the colin McEvity penguin atlases of the world and all those pretty great changes and stuff too but um i started doing some maps of cities hilltown was actually i think the first um and yeah probably shows more as one of my early questions. <laughs> but i started doing uh some maps of some of the other cities around the area so there, there is a, a map of beaky in vanch and there's a map of Jalaro, and there's a map of Marin's cross and i was where are those these... maps i want to see them <laughs> some, of yeah, them. Some, some, some of them are um i don't out on, on on the brp forum um oh, okay. so i i say so a few of those you can find in whatever form they were in when i look them but uh so I, I was doing these and you know writing them online and you know sending them off to jeff and jeff's like this is great and it's like uh would you be interested in uh maybe putting together a map of not chat and uh it's like okay Okay, well, yeah, that, I, I haven't really explored that much of that part of the world, but I'll give it a go. Uh, so it's just 
you know, from some of Jeff notes and from the content in the Israelia book, I just started kind of assembling some of the, the structure of the city and it just kind of took off from there. So why did, did, did Jeff basically scam you into making a map for his campaign or something? <laughs> I I don't know if it was a serious <laughs> campaign, but we were, we were we were talking at the time about uh, about Nachet and and Israel and stuff. But uh, so you know, it got, it got to a point where it had you know basically the content that, that ended up being you know, Jeff posted because I think he was interested in having you know people kind of see a little bit or get a full flavor of Israel and Nachet at the at the time. Um, so it, it kind of got out there in that particular format, and I've, I've elaborated a little bit more on it since. And uh, you, you added more little buildings. Uh, there, there are more <laughs> little buildings. So yeah, there's there's at least two thousand little buildings on there. I haven't I haven't put buildings on for everything. There's some areas <laughs> no, I've left open you know, for people to to add their own little buildings, but. Uh, yeah, Let's talk a little bit about the style you, you're using, because you have uh, the specific buildings, which are somehow important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you also leave this uh, well, uh, cross-marked uh, area where there are buildings, but you don't detail. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, there, um, so yeah, we wanted to kind of, you know, I, I really kind of started with <clears throat> just sort of the, kind of the cross-hatching of the word. Okay, this, this is a noble district. This is more of crafts district uh, here's where some of the gardens and things are obviously you know, the sacred city was kind of at the, the heart of it uh but you know here's where the docks and stuff are so you kind of start with that and then it's like where are the great nobles houses you know so they, those kind of got into it where do the trolls live you know and you know from there it's just like okay you know kind of <laughs> start to build out from that and just kind of expand it out and uh yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of buildings. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not just yeah. buildings. I and, mean, tem- I mean- and, and temples, and you know, you kind of worked out. Okay, well, how does it handle water? Okay, well, they're yeah. bringing water in through aqueducts, and they're storing it in cisterns. So the cisterns are important buildings and stuff as part of the piece. Um, it's not not you know shared out there, but there is an under ground map as well where i do have all the, the aqueducts <laughs> and the sewer lines oh and stuff laid out too uh which, which actually ended up being uh of course important when i when i began doing my little play by post um nacho game because <laughs> at, at least one of the characters was uh somebody who was familiar with the the systems and, and sewers in fact i think the clan or the ha- client hall that the the characters were from one of their responsibilities was maintenance of the aqueduct uh, line kind of running from one of the cisterns to the the main baths in the city as well <laughs> so so i kind of had to know some of those bits but uh it's, it's been useful you know some of that content's you know been you know provided to chaos I mean, as they've begun doing some of their development of israeli and, and nachet as well so so hopefully we'll we'll see this. Some of that uh, in the future as well. Yeah. Well, we'll have we have links to uh, to that map so people can, uh, mm-hmm. can be amazed. Yeah. Well, you didn't stop there. I mean, the uh, current cars map is from you and done in the same style. Oh, uh, car, cars, yeah, yeah, cars, white wall, um, Durangard. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't think I've seen those maps. 
<laughs> White, White Wall is or was available. Jeff shared that at some point. Yeah. Karis and Durangard, I don't know, and shared. So I, Chaosum had uh, uh, commissioned me to to do uh, Heartland, and uh, so I did those maps up for for that work. And you know, they're, they're foundational ones. You know, things that you know people can you know, the chaosum can use it then to develop some artwork and, cool. yeah. and stuff for subsequent works and stuff. But uh, hopefully you'll, we'll have a chance to see those and somewhere in the, in the not too distant future as well. Fingers crossed. Yep. Okay, yeah. I think we should uh, wrap up uh, soon. Uh, Jörg, did you want to do a wildcard questions or? Uh... Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, uh, so gut feeling. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, Malio or Kermot? Uh, what, as sort of a, fa- a favorite? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he's uh, well, biased there. I, I'm, I'm biased. I created Kermot, so, but <laughs> I, 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 I like both. I mean, if you were asking me, Yelmalio or Orlanth, it's no question, it's Yelmalio. Yeah, <laughs> you answered that already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, how do you pronounce, uh, Yeah, well, we know how you pronounce Notchet, why? Notchet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, I, I based it on not yet and uh, not yet. So it's, it's the way that, that one comes out. So it's always interesting to see how other people pronounce some of the things over the years. Um, I was, uh, it, uh, you know, it was like watching uh, Jeff on some of his videos and stuff. And I always used to say, Isaris, and I think he says Isaris. You know, so you, you get to some of those uh, differences and stuff. It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you pronounce the, the, the main city in Prax? Pavis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite mount? Favorite mount, uh, your steed. If, if you uh, can choose mount. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I might lean towards the high llamas. Oh. <laughs> I always thought they were kind of, I always like those. So yeah. I, I, I'm actually. Uh, Playing in uh, play by post uh, version of the Borderlands game. I, I, I never ran practice myself. I mean, I I didn't have a gaming group uh, when I was first doing RuneQuest. So I I did actually the entire Borderlands as sort of like a solo campaign. <laughs> but it, it's nice having a kind of a chance to kind of go through somebody else's vision of it. You know, you know, X number of years on from that. So. Uh, uh, yeah. We're we're up to the Five Eyes ruins at this point, uh, or Five Eyes Temple scenario at this point. So it's uh, it's been moving along. Oh. Ducks or Trollkin? I like ducks, but they they don't figure hugely up in Imther. So I, I've but uh, certainly in my uh, Colomar campaigns, I, I've run. You know, the, the ducks are are important. Uh, the the shaman Joseph Greenbake uh, led. Uh, the characters off into the spirit world to uh, uh, stop a potential lunar threat and stuff. So Trollkin, I've not used much over the years. So, uh, okay. But uh, trolls have never been as, as prominent. I'll, I like trolls, but they've just not been prominent in my games. So what's worse, gremlins or crash kids? Gremlins are annoying. Crash kids are rather deadly. Yeah, um, they're actually dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, well, but, uh, they, yes, they, they they certainly can be. Um, so I, there'll probably be more opportunities for me to introduce both uh, because they both they both figure in some way or another in Imther as well. Um, 
Cross Kids um, figure a little bit in Portland. Um, Gremlins don't, but uh, yeah. And uh, if you were part of a tribe in Imther, would you be part of the lunarized one or the independent ones? Oh, or I, which I'd one? be part. I'd be part of the Laramite tribe. That's the Yalmalio oriented mm. one that's i mean that's where i centered my original campaign uh, uh city of hortigarth uh, was my creation so i i always enjoyed the fact that that one ended up uh getting into the guide and stuff <laughs> being canonized as, as part of uh glorantha so uh, it, it's kind of fun to see the, the, those yeah. little bits and pieces come in so. yeah actually how did you um uh over over the years when you were writing some imther stuff but then Possibly new canon stuff came out of Chaosium or you know uh, Isaris or whatever. Uh, how how did you like? Did was there a bit of tug and pull there, or or did you not bother too much? Um, I never had to bother too much. I mean, because I was basically developing in an area that nobody else was playing in. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I I I in fact canonized most of most of that area. I mean, certain bits. I mean, obviously, you know the. The, the interaction of Orlanthe and, and Yamalian and stuff in, in the, mm-hmm. the region was, you know, that was sort of the the overlay that I think kind of got settled on, you know, uh, as we kind of worked that over time. But because I was working with Greg and, and Jeff and stuff over the years, a lot of the yeah. things that I kind of you know, put together ended up uh, kind of what what made it into, you know, like oh. like the guide and stuff. Nice. So. Yeah, well, congrats on that. And uh, so I guess I'll have to ask my questions to the other random guy who was playing in Imther randomly. Uh, <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for coming and spending time with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, cool. Where can, so people can get your book, Edge of Empire, on the Johnstown Compendium. We're going to have a link yes. in the show notes. Uh, yep. Where can people find you? Where can people find other stuff from you? And what can people expect in the future? Yeah, so um, I am uh, in the Facebook RuneQuest group, so mm-hmm. you, you can find me there. I'm also in the Johnstown Compendium Raider group I, as well, um, so you can find me there. I've been on the uh, basic role-playing forum for years. Um, you can find me there as Judge Agapa. Um, you know, so th- those would be you know, the main places, as you said, yeah. Edge of Empire is available on uh, in the Johnstown Compendium on Drive Through RPG, and I I am working on uh, additional supplements to that that work as well. So hopefully we'll have at some point my uh, Amber or Elf C campaign, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which will really put you at the edge of Empire and, and kind of the border with the yeah. Griffin Mountain. Um, and I also want, looking to, uh, to put together a little bit more of you know, kind of a guide for kind of my uh game of thrones style uh, <laughs> game in in Imther, you know uh, you kind of have yeah. the, the basics for that uh, in edge of empire but uh, you know flush that out a little bit more in terms of you know where these people are what's happening what's going to happen in the early part of the the hero wars um you know that you can engage with over the next couple of years and uh potentially see if you can uh, bring back the trade with the dwarves so I, I do leave that to player characters to to have a chance to do. So. Yeah. One thing I forgot uh, to give a shout out to uh, are the character portraits in Edge of Empire, yeah. done by your daughter, yeah. I understand. 
Yes. Yeah. My, my daughter is uh, artist and animator um, uh, and uh, had a chance to have her put together some of the, the character portraits and stuff for that. So I was very pleased with the, the results there. Um, and she is available for commissions too. Uh, cool. So uh, and we'll give a little shout out for that too. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks again. And well, hopefully uh, you will uh, see uh, lots more people playing in Imther. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. And there's there's some, um, yeah, I probably should comment. There. There's a, another somebody, uh, Peter Hart, I think, had put together a, a supplement on Hydra. Uh, uh, Hy- Hydra and, and creating some military based characters uh, in the lunar provinces. Uh, it's actually a very nice complimentary work as well. So if somebody is looking to start, um, yeah, Edge of Empire can give you a nice foundation and you know, get some additional characters or encounters and stuff. And and there are uh, uh, some people also working on uh, something to be released fairly soon about the other Edge of the Empire on in the West. Uh, Jörg might know a thing or two, but... Uh, you yeah. mean uh, Runquest Talastar? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, I was talking about the escalation, uh, warring uh, Ooh, Redwood yes, and warring kingdoms. Ah, oh, right, right, yeah, right. way, which, way on that. that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I mean, it's uh, yeah, that's uh, going to be good. Yeah, there, there, there's some interesting content in in the whole 13 age Gorantha. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the system I would run per se, but there, there's a lot of interesting ideas for Earth based yeah. characters and darkness based characters and. And it would be interesting to see what they come up with for some of the, you know, lunar-based characters as well. So, cool. Well, all hail the red goddess and uh, and have <laughs> a safe uh, safe travels. Then, <laughs> great. Well, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure talking to you guys. And uh, I don't know if Ludo, if you're getting out to uh, the KSM Con, but I, I am planning to be there as well. I'm um, hoping to. Yes. So so if people are coming out. For that, uh, you know, happy to chat with them about Imther and other Glorantha materials as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond.